Welcome everyone to the Preacher's Perspective. This is Pastor Warren J. Joyce from Life Point Sanctuary in Moorhead, Minnesota. And we want to continue on this week reading um, my newest book, Recognizing the Call. And right now we are on Chapter 7, How Do I Submit? Great, great topic of discussion. Um, one that everyone has to deal with. So um, let's go ahead and get started today. Chapter 7 of Recognizing the Call, How Do I Submit? So, submission, the sometimes dreadful and seemingly impossible task. It is the one thing we need most above all others, and it is the one thing that I that can be most difficult to achieve. I have asked and have been asked, how do we know if we are submitted? The answer I usually hear is, you know you are submitted when you don't agree with what you are told and do it anyway. This answer is somewhat true, but leaves something to be desired. While it is true that our submission is tested when we must conform to another person's will when we disagree, submission goes deeper than our outward conduct. If we do what we want to do, but do it, I'm sorry, if we do what we don't want to do, but do it with a terrible attitude, can that be called submission? Submission is about more than just having an authority over us who gives us direction or dictates, dictates to us what we are going to do or not do. It goes deeper than that. Thankfully, the Word of God gives us many principles to draw from that gave they give us a clear description of what biblical submission actually looks like. Understanding submission is of the utmost importance if we are to hear God's voice and recognize His call. Our effectiveness in ministering to others is contingent upon our success in this area. A common phrase that is often heard in apostolic circles today is apostolic authority. This phrase is often used to describe the way we, we believe God's authority flows through His people. Within this concept of apostolic authority is the belief that God uses a single individual in a local congregation to give direction to those that attend that particular assembly. This view does hold does hold great merit for many applications in our walk with God. We find many instances in the Word of God where God's directives come from men or women who were dedicated to the purpose of God. God spoke to them, and they in turn delivered God's message uh, to the people. This is often how God spoke to large to a large group of, to large groups of people. Sorry. Let me be clear. I believe in having a pastor and spiritual leadership in my walk with God because I know that good things come from disciplined submission in my life. With that being said, however, I am not sure the way we define apostolic authority is a true representation of the way the foundational apostles did things. We tend to focus on one individual having all of the authority in our lives, but this is not what the apostles did. There is more evidence of them submitting to one another rather than submitting to just one individual. Because things often flow or follow the path of least resistance, churches today structure themselves after the most predominant pattern of church order, one laid out by none other than the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church is responsible for creating much of what we know about church culture throughout the world, from meeting in church buildings to the design of church buildings themselves, to how we gather congregationally and order our services, and even as it regards as it is regarded to the concept of hierarchy. Hierarchical organization. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church had its handing in creating more of what we know about modern 
church culture today. Though many of these things are perfectly fine and work great for organizing bodies of believers around the world, there is one major detriment to our adherence to the Catholic Church's mode of organization, and that is the idea that one individual deserves the sole authority in our lives. We must never elevate a man or woman to a place that is solely designed for God. I have had pastors all throughout my life and am a pastor myself. I believe in the role of a pastor. But I also believe in the roles of apostle, prophet, evangelist, and teacher. Ephesians 4 tells us that God gave gifts into the church, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. That's Ephesians 4 and 11. These different ministerial roles are gifts God designed for the church. Ephesians 4.12 tells us these gifts are for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The purpose of these gifts is to equip every saint for the work of the ministry. The, conund the conundrum of it all is each of these ministerial positions requires submission to someone, and ultimately, they all must be submitted to those to whom they minister. Submission is a principle that is taught throughout the Word of God, and we have many New Testament examples of how the apostles practice submission in their lives. It is a principle to follow more than a task to perform. Let me pause right there for just a second. It's a principle to follow. So the principle is that we submit ourselves one unto another. And then task orientation, uh, uh, mindset or viewpoint is that as long as I'm submitted to the task at hand, to whatever the pastor tells me, then I don't have to be submitted to my brother. I don't have to do what he says or do uh, things uh, in... in, in um, accordance to them or in accordance to the Word of God because I'm submitted to a pastor. I'm submitted to a sole authority. And the sole authority in our life is not the pastor. The sole authority in our life is God and His Word. Now, so because if at any time the pastor gets out of the Word of God, then if we are submitted solely to that individual pastor, then we will follow that pastor out of the Word of God. And we've seen that happen many times, over and over and over again. So our sole authority must be the Word of God and, the, and, and God Himself, the voice of God. Now, God's authority and His Spirit always flows through men and women. That's how it works. So there is a necessity of me to be submitted to leadership to to pastoral authority to to that but that cannot be the the sole authority well he's my pastor and i you know i, I use this example i was in a, a church service one time and this uh this pastor gets up and it, we were at a i think it was at a we we're dedicating a new building somewhere and this guy gets up and he says well my pastor's here tonight and you know i'm solely submitted to him 100 percent submitted to him and if he were to tell me to go stand in the middle of the street and busy highway i would do it because i'm not submitted well that's just ignorance that that's ignorance you, you don't go stand in the middle of a street in a busy highway no matter how submitted you are to someone that that's not submission. That's that's blindness. You're, you're you're blindly submitted to someone, and it's going to cause you harm, because what that man did not know was in the next three or four years, that pastor that he was so submitted to, that he was completely submitted to, was going to turn his back on the truth, and then he was going to walk away, and now there's this great gap of division that has been created. Why? 
because he was solely submitted to an individual and not to God. And so now he's left flapping in the wind because he's not, he was, his, his submission was in the wrong place. Is he supposed to be submitted to a pastor? Yes. Is he supposed to have authority in his life? Yes. Is it, but most, more important than all of that is our adherence and submission to the Word of God. If we're more submitted to an individual's voice than we are to God's voice, we have missed it. We are not recognizing the call of God. We're only hearing what we want to hear. And that's, and that's how easy it is to become sidetracked and how easy it is to miss the purpose of God. So it's important how we're submitted. That's why... And we'll get into this further with this book. So um, we'll continue on now. I'm on page 90, the second paragraph. It says, We find that all of the disciples submitted to Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2.14 refers to Peter standing up with the eleven. When Peter preached that first sermon on the day of Pentecost, it appeared that he was the apostle the others were uh, the other eleven were submitted to. Maybe what we would consider the pastor in our modern understanding. Peter is also the one who dealt with Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. However, in Acts 6, the apostles called an assembly of all the disciples to discuss finding seven men to do the daily activities that needed to be done. The apostles told the rest of the disciples, so all of the church, to determine among themselves who the appropriate men would be to meet the needs of the growing church, and the apostles would then appoint them to the task. This decision was not made by one man, but rather by what appears to be a panel of leaders. This panel of leaders then appointed other leaders to, to perform the daily task of the church. The submission of the apostles and disciples one to another led to the successful resolution of a pressing problem. Furthermore, after Peter had witnessed Cornelius and his household receiving the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues, we find that he returned to Jerusalem and was met with contention from the Jews. They were angry at him for fellowshipping with the Gentiles. So he explained the vision God gave him and told them how Cornelius and his household had received the Holy Ghost just as they did. This satisfied the Jews, and, all, and they all glorified God. They submitted to what Peter was saying, and he submitted to them by giving them an explanation for his actions. This was more than just a casual conversation between two parties. The Jews had very strong convictions against doing what Peter had just done. They were still following the law of Moses. Peter could have been excommunicated from them if they had not been full of the Holy Ghost themselves. Every time we see contention arise um, among the early church, we see how they came together in submission to one another. They did not create factions among themselves, and after a major decision was made, um, but submitted to the decision and lived according to it. This does, doesn't mean that contentions would never rise again among others. It just means that to those individuals who had submitted, the issue was finished. Peter later ate with a mixed crowd of Jews and Gentiles while at Antioch. But when James and some other disciples came, he distanced himself from the Gentile brethren. Paul openly rebuked Peter for doing this. And Peter submitted to it. But before this happened, Paul had submitted himself to Peter and the other disciples in Jerusalem. And they extended the right hand of fellowship to him and granted him their blessing to go and preach the gospel. So Paul's right here again. So you see this, 
this contention arising and, and, and coming up in different instances in the early church. And then they, they communicate with each other and work it out. They, they give explanation and then understanding comes because of communication. And, uh, and that's, that's key. And we, we seem to have this, this problem in the church today to where we think that we don't owe anybody or often many think they don't owe anybody an explanation. And then because of that, it creates division when there's when things are not explained, when explanation is not given, and based on, on the conduct that has been done. When people have strong convictions in areas and they feel like, well, I don't have to give any explanation to anyone, and even though those that group that I belong to has a strong conviction of it against that or or for this or whatever, and I don't owe them any explanation. Then that creates division. When all, when it could be simply um, rectified and 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 made right by just giving an explanation of what took place. So um, this is what Peter did when the Jews asked him. Peter did not become self-righteous and say, well, I don't owe you any explanation. Well, you know, God sent me here and leave it alone at that. No, he gave an explanation of what was happening. He, he, he told them what was happening. And then because they were full of the Holy Ghost, they received it. So it requires something. It requires submission on both sides. It requires submission of Peter to lower his pride, and it, re it requires submission of the, the Jews to lower theirs. And so they come together and realize, hey, you know what? God has all of this under his hand and under his control. So I'm going to submit ultimately to God by submitting one unto another. And that's, that's key. We really aren't submitted to God if we can't submit to each other. If, if because of my quote-unquote position— I feel like that I am above submission to the lowest individual, then I actually am not submitted at all. Because if I'm really submitted to God, then I will allow myself to be submitted to the least. Isn't that what Jesus said? If you're going to be the greatest, then you have to make yourself the least. And that, that's what we have to do. We have to submit ourselves to those that really don't necessarily have to have an explanation, but we owe them one because we're submitted to them. And that's that's what we need to understand today. We need to be less individualistic and, and work more as a community. And all right, so continuing on, second chapter on page 92. We see the disciples practicing submission once again in Acts 15. Here the disciples were discussing whether or not to teach Gentiles to follow the law concerning circumcision. Paul and Barnabas were called to Jerusalem to speak on this matter, and they gave examples of how God had been filling Gentiles with His Spirit everywhere they went. They had seen firsthand that there was no difference between Jews and Gentiles in God's eyes. Peter also stood up with them to defend the same point. In Acts 15 and 7, Peter said, God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. When he said God made choice, he revealed how they understood God's authority. They believed they all had the same authority in God and that God could give direction to one of them individually when he so desired. This is very different from how much of the church world operates today. Once Peter finished uh, speaking, James, the brother of Jesus, gave direction on the matter. What he said became the final word on the subject, and they all submitted to his decision moving forward. There are two things at work in the, these examples. One, they trust one another's motives. Two, they trust God to give them direction. 
Biblical submission is not unidirectional, it's not a unidirectional concept. It is a two-way street that requires both lanes to be open for giving and receiving. God expects our submission to Him and that we obey His commandments, but He also holds Himself in submission to us by His Word. According to 2 Corinthians 1 and 20, God's promises are yea and amen. God does not have to hold Himself accountable to us, but chooses to do so anyway because He desires to establish a relationship of trust with us. He first loved us, so He gave Himself for us, and if we love Him, we will obey Him. This kind of bidirectional submission is what we see portrayed in the book of Acts by the apostles, and it is the kind of submission Paul wrote about in Ephesians 5.21, when he instructs us to submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God. Peter also gives this inst- instruction in 1 Peter 5.5, 5, saying, Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. The writer of Hebrews instructs, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they w- watch for your souls, as they must give an account, or for they must give account, that they may do it with joy, and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Hebe- and that's Hebrews 13 and 7. This passage is speaking of the spiritual leadership of the church. The way it is written indicates that this submission is not indicated for submission just to one person, but it speaks speaks of submission in a plural sense. This comes in direct contradiction with how local church authority has been established in our present time. Once again, I am not coming against the role of a pastor in the local congregation. However, it appears that that the Bible emphasizes submission to a greater extent and degree, um, than is normally taught in our pulpits today. It teaches submission not only to a pastor, but to the church as a whole, especially to those who are in places of leadership in the church. Many teach today that we must have the single voice of a pastor in our lives, or we cannot be, quote-unquote, right with God. My question in response to this idea is, if apostolic authority operates through submission to one, to one man, then who was Paul's pastor, or Peter's? or James's, or John's. Who was the pastor of the apostles? Paul speaks of those who would have been considered under his ministry as sons. It is with a familial relationship rather than an inferior subordinate relationship. Though Paul recognizes the necessity of leadership and the responsibilities of those in leadership, he never designates a single individual as the one who has all power and authority in his life or in the lives of those who read his letters. When he speaks of where all power comes from, he speaks of God. We must be careful not to elevate any one individual to a position that would make his or her voice equal to the voice of God. Having spiritual leadership in our lives is essential, but it should not be to the point where we cannot make any decisions on our own. God is not looking for us to become carbon copies of our spiritual leaders. He has a specific calling and purpose for each of us, and hearing that call and fulfilling that purpose requires that we hear Him above all others. Herein lies the question, how do I submit? To properly submit, we must recognize the actions of the apostles and put them back into action today. As the apostles were, so we must be in subjection, under the rule, 
of the body of Christ. Does this mean we must submit to everyone in the body of Christ? In short, yes. But how does that look in application? Submission to the body of Christ looks like helping one another, loving one another, being kind to one another, and acknowledging the needs of one another. It looks like selflessness, wanting our brothers and sisters to succeed, and showing concern for the body. Biblical submission also involves having people in our lives who are close to us that can lead and correct us. When we are properly submitted to the body of Christ, we allow ourselves to be corrected not only by those who lead us, but but also by those whom we lead. Paul compares this relationship or the relationship of a husband and wife to that of Christ and the church in Ephesians 5. Husbands are to love their wives, ministering to her needs with care and selflessness, just as Christ loved the church selflessly and gave himself for it. Wives are to trust and obey the leadership of their husbands. Just as the church is to follow the leadership of Christ, Jesus submitted himself to the needs of the church by giving himself for it, and we submit ourselves to him by obeying his voice. Submission is always a two-way street. Many times I have heard the topic of submission spoken of in terms of the military. I was in the military, so I can speak of it firsthand. A military commander has all authority over those in his command. The subordinates must obey direct orders and do so almost without question. If a commander gives an order that is blatantly wrong or that crosses predefined rules of engagement, the subordinates can refuse that order. This is called a duty to disobey and can be justified if any order is contrary to the Constitution or is patently illegal. A soldier in this situation will undergo an investigation by those in authority over him, and the decision on the matter will determine the outcome. This is fine for the military, but we're the church. The authority structure of the church does not come from the military. I know many of us saying, I'm in the Lord's army when we were in Sunday school. However, this is not how God's authority structure works. There are no generals, colonels, or sergeants who command men at their leisure. This is the family of God. We are the people of God, and we are organized and fitly framed together for His purpose. God does establish leaders, and God does give direction, but we have to remember it is God doing these things and not we ourselves. Submitting is the act of being available to those of the church body. It is also being in subjection to the leadership of the church body. This includes the pastor of that church. It also would include the other gifts that God gave into the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers. Let me pause here for a second. Um, when, I, when I say that, you know, I was in the military, I understand the structure of, of the military, that the, the uh, military idea of leadership and authority is way different from the church. A lot of people use this, this, um, this, uh, uh, connection of authority, and it does not belong here, simply because we are not a militant group. We are a godly group. God has not called us to be uh, a militant group here on this earth. Because a, a, um, a platoon uh, leader, which would be a uh, second lieutenant, and that would be the officer of a platoon, and then you have non-commissioned officers, so you'd have a uh, a sergeant first class that would be the platoon sergeant in the mil- in the army, for instance. And then you have, and so he, the platoon sergeant is over all four of the squads of that um, that particular platoon, and then the platoon leader would be his direct commander, and then you would have um, 
E6s over each squad, and then an E5 over each team. So each squad has two teams, and then there are four squads in a platoon. So then, so that's how your authority structure works. Now, so uh, if we have an objective to take over, um, say there's there's a um, the there's a, a a hill let's just use that a hill it needs to be taken and this platoon or the, there's there's a company and each company has uh what is it um first second third third platoon yeah so and then you have headquarters so each one basically has three platoons in it and so each the captain is is over all of those platoon leaders, and then each platoon leader is over each platoon, and then you have your non-commissioned officers. Now, the objective is to take over. Now, so the captain gives first platoon his directive, second platoon, and third platoon. And then they each have, inside of their directive, they have authority over that platoon to move men and women as they see fit. That, that to to their to their pleasure as they need as they want and that's how it works so but that's not how the church works though the church is not um so god has all of these uh you know brother bernard is the general commanding general of of god's army here on this earth you know and then after him you have uh, each, uh, you, uh, I'm, I'm in part of the Minnesota district. So brother Cox would be the, the, the Colonel over, um, the Minnesota ministers. And then me being uh, a pastor here in, in Moorhead that then I would be a captain over, over my group. And then we have different ministries under here. So then you'd have these different lieutenants. That's not how it works in the, in, in the family of God. That's not how it works at all. It's not about generals and commanding officers, and military authority is not church authority. Church authority, number one, is based out of love. That's where it's based out of. There is not a, a commanding military officer that bases his authority on love. His authority is based on law. It's based on rule. It's based on you will do what I say because you have a contract that says you will do what I say. And if you don't abide by my contract, then I will article 15 you and put you in prison. That's not the God that we serve. We don't serve a God that's like that. His is based out of love. So he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So what's the principle in that verse? It's not keeping his commandments. It's love. So if you love him, then you will. So that's how God's authority works. If we love him, then we will follow his rule and his authority. So me being a pastor of a church, I don't get to move people at my leisure. I don't get to do things according to my own will and my own purpose for my outcome. I'm trying to achieve what God has called us to achieve. And I'm not a captain and Brother Cox isn't a colonel and Brother Bernard isn't a general. That's not how the leadership of God's church works. God's church and authority structure is, is not based on hierarchy. It's not based on gaining rank. It's based on love. It's completely separate and different. It's not the same. Anyway, all right, so continue reading on, on page 98, the, the beginning of the uh, first chapter here says God's authority structure is not based on a hierarchy of people in different positions. There is no rank or position that is higher than the next, but we often view people who are in 
who are used in certain gifts or operations of the Spirit as the most spiritual among us, or as those in the highest ranks with God. The truth of this matter is they are just like everyone else. They have just learned how to surrender their will to God, and God responds to that surrender by allowing the gifts of the Spirit to operate through them. This operation of the gifts is available to all who are filled with the Holy Ghost. The idea of a hierarchy is inherently wrong and stems from pride. The belief that God only gives gifts to certain elite individuals comes from the desire of people to have control over the lives of others. God makes spiritual gifts available to anyone who will pursue Him. And only the prideful and arrogant try to hide away these gifts that God has made available for all to seek Him. Uh, God will use those who submit themselves to His purpose. In contrast to how humans operate, God uses those who are willing to become the least of all over those who only desire to lift themselves up. He chooses the people who allow themselves to become subject to all. Human nature gravitates to those who are charismatic and easy to like, but God gravitates to those who are obedient. God's authority structure has him at the head of the church and everyone else under him. He does not give a distinction between saints and preachers, pastors and church members, leaders and followers. If one desires to be called into one of the gifts God gave into the church, he must first become a servant to all and a follower most of all. So that's the end of chapter 7, How Do I Submit? Um, this is this is a very uh, touchy subject. There are some that, that believe that uh, submission to your pastor and that one individual voice is um is uh that you got to have just one 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 voice and one individual as as your leader and and all of this and now um I don't I don't agree with with the idea of just uh, putting all of all of your your hope into an individual you know and um and I, and I'm not saying that that people can't do that now in a what I'm trying to say is 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 I don't I don't believe that we as the church and the people of God are to place any one individual's voice higher than God's voice. Because what I've seen, what I've seen and what I have experienced is that when we placed all of our place all of our trust and our hope into an individual, that individual fails us. He they always fail because they're human. And when you teach and preach that that's how it is, that, well, that, that if they said to do this, they said to do that, then I'm going to do it because they're my pastor. You know, to a certain degree, yes. It's like if your pastor is in the Word of God, if your preacher, if, you're, if they're in the Word of God and they're teaching and preaching the Word of God, then yes, submit yourselves to it. But make sure you're in the Word of God so you know whether or not they are. We can't go blindly after anything. The Bible says that the blind lead the blind and they both fall into the ditch so is and he was talking to pharisees and they were completely blind they were completely blind to the purpose of the law of god and what it was for jesus said that in you know two different instances but he says look you 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 um you tithe of anise and cumin and all these spices and you give the smallest of amounts but in and you followed the law with that but you missed the weightier parts of the law were of judgment and mercy and it would have been better if you would have followed that than follow all this. So you've got all these little details just right, but you're missing the whole point. You're missing the reason why we have it. And when we allow ourselves to be so wrapped up with an individual, when we become 
uh, sensationalized, and we we're after their their charismatic attitude and their or their charismatic personality, and we're drawn by that, and it's amazing, and we we become followers of these individuals and people. We forget that there's that there is a God who is above all, and that's who we're really supposed to be following. Paul said to follow me as I follow Christ. Now, following Christ was the key. Following Paul was not. If Paul would have said, follow me as I follow um, Ananias or as I follow Barnabas, well then, no, we're not going to follow you as you follow them. That doesn't make any sense. I've got to follow you as you're following Christ. So that's the leadership model that we should be following, that we should have, is yes, I have a pastor. Yes, I have leadership in my life. And yes, there is authority that comes with that. But I'm following them as they follow Christ. I'm following them, so I'm following them as long as they follow Christ. I'm following them as I come closer to Christ. I'm not following them that's going to take me away from God. There's countless people that have put all of their hope and trust in preachers. And then when those preachers decide, you know what? I'm not going to follow the Lord anymore. I'm not going to do what God's will or God's purpose anymore. I'm going to take care of me first. Then all of those people that have put all of their hope in that preacher, they follow him too. They follow them and they get away from God. And then they, they lose what God had given them. They, they lose it. They lose that authority. They lose that power. They lose that, that presence of God. And, and folks, that's what this is about. It's about having the presence and the power of God. That, that we need that. We need that to overcome. That we need that to, to help us in this day. <coughs> Otherwise, we're powerless. We're hopeless. We have nothing. So we need that move of God. And we can't have that if we're just following people. So it's important that, we, that how we submit. It's important that we submit ourselves to the entire church, to the church body. That we are not... Um, we're not just after glory. We're not after the glory of men. We're not after being in charge of men. So this has been uh, The Preacher's Perspective with Pastor Warren J. Joyce out of uh, LifePoint Sanctuary in Moorhead, Minnesota. Uh, thank you for listening. I pray that the Lord uh, will bless you.